Well, what a day, what a day. It's one of my favorite days of the Christian year, Pentecost Sunday, where we recognize our need and our dependence on the Holy Spirit and how good he is to us, to guide us, to lead us, to be with us every moment. His presence is so good and so faithful to us. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Pastor AJ Welcome on staff here at Trinity. And um, I just want to say real quick before we jump into the message, my wife Michaela and I, we are so grateful to be part of this church family. And we're so grateful specifically this year that we're committed to journeying through the Bible in a year. I don't know who else has been grateful for going through the Bible in a year. I've been so grateful for that, grateful for God and the way that he's revealing himself through the word, that we've gone through the beginning, the chosen ones, that we're sitting in the kingdom of Israel right now, and we have so much more to come even as we move about our year. We want to lean into the word of God. The reason I'm so grateful is because in a world where there's so much confusion, there's so much dissonance even as we talk about this idea that I don't know what's going on internally and externally. There's up and down, left and right. People are all over the place. The Word of God is our North Star. The Word of God is the foundation we can build our lives on. And it's the Spirit, the same Spirit that was at Pentecost that's in this room with us right now as we're gathering as the believers that makes the Word alive to us and transforms us. So I'm so grateful for a church and and for our church leaning into the Word and wanting to hear from the Holy Spirit. As we take a look at where we're going to be this morning, I want to recap with us this idea of the kingdom of Israel, this section of scripture we've been in for the past few weeks. Pastor Mike's been talking about the idea that God is searching for humble hearts. He's searching for people that live lives open to him, ready to be used and say yes to the way of Jesus and the way back then, the way of Yahweh. God inviting them into relationship, setting apart the chosen people, this kingdom of Israel. He makes them into a nation. Yet we see this path, this fall of kings, and this fall of kings happens to the kings of old. It can happen to the people of old, and it can happen to us today. And we've been following this graphic on the screen. It's where God identifies this new humble heart, where we want to be humble before him. We're desperate for him. In those desperate moments, in those moments where we need the Lord, that's where he invites us. He rescues us. He saves us. He's with us. But then what happens, and we see this time and time again, they gain affluence. They begin to forget. They have this amnesia of, I don't really remember God. I don't need him as much. I've got this life and this wealth and this power on my own. And then they lead into this autonomous life of, I can do it. I got this. Sometimes it's implicit. Sometimes it's explicit. And then cut off from the vine, they fall. As we move into the book of Daniel this morning, I want to ask a few questions to set up the scripture. What happens when the whole nation takes the path of evil kings? What happens when all of Israel starts to get comfortable? What, starts when, what happens when they start to forget? What happens when it's no longer just a king, but it's an entire nation, God's nation, that begins to forget him? We see through the prophets of old leading up to Daniel, we studied Isaiah last week. What happens when Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, they go throughout the land heartbroken, prophesying that God's people aren't living God's way. They're not living for God. We see the hearts of these prophets 
in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they're talking about a Messiah that's coming. They're talking about a God that loves them, a God that is for them. All of these prophets, and they're saying, come back to God. Repent. Remember him. Remember the God that brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Remember how faithful he is. He loves you. He's for you. There's this urgency, this earnest, oh my goodness, come back to the Lord. He loves you. He's for you. We see all these times of the Messiah being promised. Ezekiel talking about dry bones coming back to life. Jeremiah talking about plans that are to prosper you and not to harm you. And yet Israel remains obstinate. That they refuse to say yes to that coming Messiah, to the way of God. They say no and they begin to take the path of kings. Where they say, I want my own way, my own life. What happens when Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel go throughout the land heartbroken, prophesying that God's people aren't living for God and nothing happens? There's no change. Exile. Exile. This is the part of the story of God where we sit today. God's people have abandoned his ways. They have refused to follow him. He's warned them and he's tried in love to show them that they need to come back to him. Even that verse, he's slow to anger, abounding in love. He's been very slow, years and years, decades and prophets, so many calling them back to himself. And yet they, they don't listen. Historically, in this ancient Mesopotamian society, exile is one of the worst things ever that can happen to a nation. Think of Israel's story for a second. They started off in Egypt as captives. They were slaves. God, in one of the most miraculous, amazing moments, delivers his people through the Red Sea, brings them out. They wander through the wilderness and then they get to the promised land. They found the promised land the land of milk and honey. They're there. God gave it to them. And then they begin to forget. So what happens again as God warns them, they're right back in exile, right back to slavery, being killed and sieged and taken by the Babylonians, another nation, full circle. God delivers them. They forget God and another nation takes them again. Another nation is over them. If I'm being honest, when I study this part of scripture and, and we're setting up the book of Daniel, it's a little bit discouraging. And, and I almost ask myself the questions of how am I supposed to read this part of the Bible? How are we supposed to read the exiles even possible? When I read in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? I read in Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, God will fight for you. You need only to be still. How do I read this part of scripture? How do we as the church engage in a part of scripture where God's people were slaves, they're free, and now here they are again in exile? There was battle after battle that was won. Families were healed. The land of milk and honey, they were there. It was flourishing. They had a lot of hardship and pain and battles, but there was peace in those battles because God gave it to them. In wrestling with this, what I've kind of come to is that the exile represents that if God isn't with us, anyone can be against us and win. You see, God didn't, of course, didn't want his people killed, dragged out of their city, brought again into slavery into another land. He so badly didn't want this that he sent all of these prophets 
all of these people saying, turn back to the Lord, turn back to the Lord. But, and this is one of the central themes of the Christian faith, one of the key markers is that when we, as God's people, don't exercise the beautiful gift of the will he gave us, the beautiful gift of the will he gave us to return our love to him, he lets us. He lets us. This is one of the defining markers of Christianity. There is no religion. There is no God like our God in the sense that God comes to the people. God chooses us. He loves us. He, in the olden times of Israel, chooses a people, invites a people into relationship with him. And then through his son, Jesus invites the whole world makes a way. The curtain is torn. There is no separation between us and God, but he will not force your will. He will not force your hand. He loves you, and he invites you to love him, but because he's a God of love, it's the only religion where we have a God who is holy love. It's in essence who he is. He loves you. He is for you. He knows what life to the full is. He knows that the Israelites don't want to be taken. He knows that they can stay close to him. They're going to have the best life but he will not force them to choose because he wants your heart. He wants your soul. He wants your mind. He wants your strength. He wants all of you. And so as any good parent, as any great friendship, you're not going to force or coerce love back. You're not going to manipulate or punish with a will to force them to do something. Instead, God open-handedly wants the love to return, but they don't. And so the consequences come. And the people are in exile again. Israel wanted a king. They wanted wealth. They wanted control of their society. They wanted it their way. And they began to forget God's nature and God's ways. Before we get to the exile in Daniel, I want to help us see this idea that there's two ways that we forget God and his ways. And Israel is doing both of these in this passage. The first way is a deliberate action against God. So all these prophets are calling them out. You have set up idols. You have gone against God. You haven't done family well. You've given over to lust and greed and all of these things. There's a deliberate action of they know God's way, Israel does, and they're choosing deliberately to go against him. There's another kind of way to fall away from God, as Israel does, and it's a little bit less deliberate. It's passive. And the way I would say it is, no choice is a choice. No choice is a choice. Turn to your neighbor and say, no choice is a choice. No choice is a choice. I'll explain it this way, because they're in vertical relationship with God, not making a choice. I want to talk about my college roommate and best friend, Josh Bethay, for a second. We had an amazing time in college together. We were roommates the last three years, and we did all sorts of things together. We had an amazing friendship. We would go at 1 a.m. to get uh, Dirty Dan's Donuts in Kokomo, if anybody's ever been there. It's amazing. We would go and get uh, on the intramural teams and play basketball and football. We would help lead ministry together. 
we just had a blast in college, and we, we grew really close. We started doing some accountability together. We help each other sharpen our walks with the Lord and just uh, encourage and support one another. It, it just turned out to be one of the greatest blessings of my college days, other than Michaela. I did meet my wife in college. Got to say, she's, she, she's number one. One of my greatest blessings of college days was this friendship that happened with me and my friend Josh. And what happened was we got to the end of college. We were super close. Uh, we were in each other's weddings and uh, the best men and all of this awesome stuff. And then after that, after the college days, he moves to Omaha, Nebraska, and I moved to Indianapolis, Indiana. Here I am today still. A few months go by, maybe three, four, five months, and then six, seven months. And we were chatting, we were doing a few things, and we wake up about eight months later after he had moved to Omaha and I'm here in Indy, and we just thought to ourselves, we had a really kind of come to the Lord moment with our friendship where we were on the phone one day talking like, hey, Josh, if I'm being honest, I don't feel like our friendship's at a really good place. And he's like, AJ, I didn't want to say anything, but I feel the exact same way. I don't feel like we have a lot of closeness. I don't feel like I know much going on in your life. I don't feel like we have the friendship we used to. And neither one of us deliberately said after college, I'm done with Josh Bethea, or I'm done with AJ. Well, it's just, I don't want to be friends with him anymore. Though I was really annoying in college, so I could have seen why he might have said that. <laughs> but it wasn't deliberate. It was no choice. We didn't make the intentional steps to call, to interweave our families together, to send prayer requests, to celebrate one another's lives. And um, some of that was the, the lack of us both being on social media. Some of that was the busyness of starting ministry careers and uh, trying to dive into to where we were. All of that happened. But what happened was no choice was a choice. And we had this conversation that said, you know what, Josh, if we're going to be friends while you live in Nebraska and I live in Indiana, we're actually going to have to be intentional. We're actually going to have to make some decisions that would keep our relationship strong. No choice was a choice. This is what happened to Israel, both in deliberate action to choose to go against God's ways and this just slow, unintentional forgetfulness of how needy they were of God. And so we find ourselves in Daniel 1.1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Came to Jerusalem and besieged it. This drifting from God, this deliberate action against God leads to exile. They were taken out of Jerusalem into Babylon as captives. And as Bailey read for us earlier, Daniel and these three other men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're taken off in the exile. They're put to work in the king's court, and they now sit at a crucial spot in Israel's history, where they're in captivity again, and the question is asked to them, will you choose God? Will you be an example, a reminder to your people of who God is, of his ways, of how he loves, of how he works? Will you choose the Lord again? They're in exile needing someone, needing people to look to of how do we follow God. And Daniel has this decision to make, like prophets, kings, and people before him, to choose God's purposes 
or just slide in to an easy, trying to get comfortable life in Babylon and just give up on God? What will he decide? We'll have to wait till chapter six, so hang on just one second. I want to clarify first what he's making a decision on. What are God's purposes? What is Daniel wrestling with, with what he has to decide to engage with the Lord or engage with Babylon? And there's over 600 Mosaic laws. The prophets said a lot of things. The book of Isaiah, as we talked about last week, is over 60 chapters long. There's a lot of words and there's a lot of things that God calls his people to. But in summary, there's three calls that God made on his people in the kingdom of Israel that Jesus fulfilled and made even more to us today. And we're going to say these out loud together. You can repeat after me. The first, love God. Love your, neighbor. Love your neighbor. Be a blessing to all nations. Love God. Love your neighbor. Be a blessing to all nations. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 14, it talks about that idea that you love the Lord your God with everything you have. We're supposed to give him all of ourselves. It's the Mosaic law that sets up what the kingdom of Israel is supposed to be like. In verse 12, God actually predicts what I just talked about, where we either make no choice or we make a deliberate action against God. In verse 12 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. There's this call to love God and a call. Don't forget. Don't forget of how much we need him, how he's for us, how he's been with us every step of the way. Don't forget him. Love God. In Leviticus 19, 18 B, it says, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. God's calling them not just to sit in his love, receive from his love and give it back to him. He's calling us to share the love. Israel to share the love with the neighbor. And then finally, in Leviticus 19, 33 and 34, it talks about how we treat the foreigner. How is the nation of Israel supposed to treat the foreigner with love, with equality? We're supposed to invite them in give them a home and sanctuary. And then ultimately God promised to Abraham that his seed, his ancestors would multiply and ultimately be a blessing to every nation on earth, every tribe, every tongue. That's the threefold purpose and call of God. I'll say it this way. God's people change locations. And in this circumstance, in a horrible and drastic way, being dragged off to exile, but God's purposes for his people don't. They don't change. We just talked about these prophets that were calling them back to God. Many of us know the verse Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Do you want to know when those words were spoken? Those words were spoken right in the thick, right in the midst of the people being conquered again heading off into slavery. It wasn't the most fruitful and best time ever for God to say those words, but he knows even when you don't choose me, even when you go against me, even when you forget, I love you. I have plans not to harm you, to prosper you. So though God's people change locations, though they're in slavery again, God's promises do not. His purpose do not. And I want to say to you this morning, wherever you are in life, if you're in a situation that maybe you caused or someone caused to you, God's promise to you is the same. He wants you to prosper. He doesn't want to harm you. He loves you. And he's calling you back to the original purpose that you were created for. To be loved 
and to give that love back to him and those around you, including all the nations. God's purposes don't change. So this is where Daniel sits. In this time in Israel's history, 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord search throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. This is where Daniel sits. He's in Babylon. Will he choose God? Will he choose Yahweh and his ways so that God might strengthen him? Will he be fully committed to God in one of the most difficult places to be committed to the Lord? And here we are in Daniel chapter 6. If you want to open up your Bibles, you can follow along. We can save that slide till the end. That'll be the end of the chapter. But we're going to start early in Daniel chapter 6, where it starts with the people who are leading with Daniel in Babylon, the other Babylonian leaders. They don't like how good Daniel's gotten. They don't like how much prospering the Lord has given, how much faithfulness the Lord has on his life. And so they turn to one another and they start to say, let's get Daniel out of here. Let's remove Daniel from his place. Let's remove him from his position. But the only way we can do that is if we mess with his relationship with God. If we did something concerning God, then we could trip him up. So they go to King Darius and they say to him, King Darius, can you make a decree for one month that no one's allowed to pray to anyone but you as the king? No one's allowed to pray because they know that's going to trip Daniel up. And so King Darius in just haste and makes the law, puts it into practice and says, all right, for 30 days, no one's allowed to pray to anyone but me in all the land or you'll be thrown into the lion's den. The famous story maybe many of us know. So the very next morning on day one, we find Daniel. And Daniel is on his knees and he's praying. And I'll give you a hint on who he's praying to. Actually, I won't give you a hint. I'll give you the answer. It's not King Darius. It's Yahweh. It's the Lord. Here he is praying to the Lord and he's saying, Lord, would you help me to love you? Would you help me to receive your love? Would you help me to strengthen our people here? My friend Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would you protect us? Would you be with us? And would you help us bless Babylon? Would you help us, help us to show Babylon you? That they might come to know you. And in Jesus' name, he didn't say Jesus' name because it was the Old Testament, but he says, amen. <laughs> and he gets up. My Hebrew is kind of shaky too, so I didn't pray it in Hebrew, um, as, as you might have. For 30 days, Daniel's the same. His commitment, his faithfulness, his steadfastness is, I will love God. I will love my neighbors, my fellow Israelites, and I will try to bless Babylon even as they try to take me out because I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know the Savior, the, the, the one who Isaiah promised that we talked about last week. Daniel wants them to know that Messiah too because he knows that what Isaiah prophesied last week, this coming Jesus, this Messiah, wasn't just for Israel. It was a Messiah for all nations, to bless everyone. That's his desire. That's what he wants. And so as he prays, they see him praying, report it to King Darius, and Daniel is picked up, dragged, and thrown into the lion's den. Now, I like to use my imagination sometimes with scripture and uh, imagine what the lion's den might have been like. I'm sure there was a lot of 
fear and like, oh my goodness, these lions are huge. And, um, but, but I don't know if God gave him a peace that let him just sleep and have one of the best nights rest of his life or if he was up all night praying and asking God to keep those mouths closed on the lions. But we know that Daniel, for the entire night, stayed with lions, an assassination mechanism, and God was with him. God, the ultimate lion tamer, the ultimate one who can close the mouths of lions. He keeps them closed the whole night. And the next morning, the king and his officials arrive and he calls into the tomb. King Darius calls, Daniel, did your God save you? And Daniel replies back, yes, the Lord has delivered me. The Lord, my God. And then we see in Daniel Chapter 6, verse 26, King Darius issues this decree. Think about be a blessing to all nations for a second. He issues a decree. Every part of my kingdom must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Every part of my kingdom. Do you see how Daniel's love for the Lord, love for his friends and his fellow Israelites, led him to want to bless Babylon that he wouldn't even give in to their ways. He wouldn't just say, yes, what you're doing is okay. Get comfortable, keep doing what you're doing. But he says the, the actual way to bless them is that they might know there's a God in heaven who can save them. They might know my God, the only one who saves. That's where he sits. And that's the Daniel we know and we see in scripture who loves God. He's on his knees praying to the Lord, saying, God, would you protect? Would you increase my affection and my love for you? He's loving his neighbor. You know, just a couple chapters earlier with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. By the way, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are amazing names. They're really fun to say. You just to tell them to your neighbor. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm pretty sure Michaela will veto this, but when we have kids, naming kids Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be awesome. Um, but I'm, I'm, sure I'll get, I'm sure I'll get vetoed on that. Earlier, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego face a similar challenge where they're called to bow down to an idol. And if you don't bow down, you'll get thrown in a fiery furnace. Do you know Daniel loving his neighbor, loving his best friends that he's in life with, isn't telling them, hey, go ahead and bow down. But instead, it's telling them, stay true to God. Whatever comes against you, wherever you're at in life, stay close to God. He will protect you. He will save you. Daniel could have jumped in and saved them and said, oh, don't bow down. They didn't mean it. They didn't mean to, they forgot to bow down. Instead, he loves his neighbor by not calling them to something comfortable or easy or a get out of jail free card. He encourages and loves his neighbor by keeping their love for God true. We can do that for each other. And then finally, he's a blessing to Babylon because he's stayed true to God and shown that God and God alone saves. Your central calling, the greatest purpose in your life is that you are loved by a God who calls you to love him. It's what you were made for. It's what Daniel was made for. It's what I'm made for. Every person is made, we talked even last week about this vacuum in our soul, the vacuum in our, in our hearts that only God can fill. It's what we were designed for. And so I'll ask you the question that we see all throughout the book of Daniel. 
and the people of Israel. Is there anything pulling you away from God's purpose in your life? Your purpose is to love the Lord, love your neighbor, and be a blessing of all nations. In Matthew chapter 22, 38 through 40, and then in 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, we make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Your purpose today is to say yes to that. Daniel couldn't shut the mouths of lions. Daniel couldn't save himself. He couldn't perform all of these miracles. What he could say was yes to God and his purpose for his life. He could resist the pulling away either in deliberate action or just no choice being a choice. He could say no to being pulled away from the place where he's supposed to be, the place where he's supposed to live. can invite the band back up and, and we're going to respond together in this place. And what I want to say to you today is that circumstances, places, and people in your life might change. Your primary purpose, what you were made for, does not. You could be a stay-at-home mom or dad you could be a young adult just starting a new career, an empty nester who just sent their kids to college, a business person, a teacher, a medical professional. You can move to Michigan, Ohio, California, or South Korea. Don't move to Ohio. I'm just kidding. I love, I love Ohio too. I'm just kidding. I love Ohio. I'm a Midwest guy. Ohio, California, or South Korea, God is with you, calling you to the fullness of life, which is to receive his love return it to him, and share it with everyone you come into contact with. But all of us, even as this is on the screen, Holy Spirit, we ask right now, would you reveal in all of our hearts what might be pulling us away? All of us have times when we're pulled away from that purpose. As it's Pentecost Sunday, and we want to stay attuned and paying attention to God and the Holy Spirit. I just want to ask a few questions, put a few prompts out there. And if the Holy Spirit nudges you with something, would you take out your next steps card? And actually everybody, if you want to go ahead and take out your next steps cards right now, um, we're going to have everybody just write something because we all have something that we can give more of ourselves to God for. We all have something in our lives that we can be more fully his, more given over to his purposes. And I just want to read a few of these things. And if God, by his Holy Spirit, sparks something in your heart that might be pulling you away, either a deliberate action, maybe you have chosen something intentionally, or maybe it's just a sliding, just a, a no choice being a choice. W would you write it down and just say, Lord, would you help me get back to who I'm supposed to be? Is there any fear in your life? I was just away for a week with college students down at Asbury University for a retreat and that was one of the prominent things of Gen Z of our generation is that there's so much fear and anxiety for the future it can lead to depression it's just a really difficult time to navigate things is there any fear that's just pulling you away from the central love of God his purpose 
Is there pressure from people? Pressure to perform? Keep up. Keep going. More at your job. More at your pressure from people. Is that something? Is it time and priorities? Do you feel like you've just slid away from spending time with the Lord, praying with your kids, enjoying just fun and laughter and Sabbath and and life together with your family? Is that something in your life that might be pulling you from your primary purpose? Is it maybe greed? Is there sexual sin that you just want to confess and give to God? Is there a selfishness, a self-consumed, always thinking about what's going on? Is there an apathy to pray and serve and just, ah, I just don't feel it right now? Apathy to make disciples. Daniel's greatest work was not that he could close the mouth of lions, not that he could save himself. His greatest work was that he trusted, submitted, and surrendered to the ultimate purpose we were all created for. He continued to love God, love his neighbor, and be a blessing to all nations. Daniel's greatest act can be our greatest act this morning, church. That we would just say anything God's bringing to mind, writing it on the card and saying, Lord, would you help me with fear? Lord, would you help me with this temptation? Lord, would you help me make sure my time and my priorities are more for you? Because I want to live into that central purpose that I was created for. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to live into every foundational purpose of God's kingdom. Just as the church in Jerusalem needed him, we need him today. And so I'm just going to ask, would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? And Jesus, right now, would you send your Holy Spirit to search our hearts? In every nation in the world, in our nation, we need people that are going to represent what it means to be fully alive in Jesus, to be fully yours. And so, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to be fully yours, given over to the purpose of life, which is love God, love your neighbor, and we want to be a blessing to all people and all nations. Search our hearts right now. If there's anything that's been pulling us away, is there anything pulling us away from God's purpose in our lives? Search our hearts. Invite us back. Invite us back. We love you. We're for you. And we want to be a people, just as Daniel was, that show God's love to the world. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.